Oh man, I just got off Skype with John Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire. I'm going to be on his show October the 11th, so make sure you tune in. I also walked around before for about an hour before I hopped on Skype. I walked around with my my camera and microphone and I was just kind of documenting the process because I feel exhausted. I feel like you guys know I'm an uh, introvert. I almost said entrovert, like entrepreneur, but Ah, uh, ooh, that 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 could be something. That word, although I hate it when people mesh up the word entrepreneur with something else. So anyway, I wanted to document the process because it takes a toll. I feel like when you're as as we get better, as the stakes get higher for the the playing field that we get on, and they, it's like a upward spiral. The more successful we become, the larger the platform, and the larger the platform, the more it boosts our success. And I want to show you guys kind of my behind the scenes. I'll probably put it up on Facebook. Um, I don't know. It may be a few, maybe about 10 minutes long. I don't know. But again, I brag only for the purpose. I was going to say I don't brag, but I realized it is bragging. It's like a humble brag. But I, I tell you that because there's very few things that I have been able to achieve in my, my time as an entrepreneur that I cannot, I could not help you do as well. If you read the blog, you're obviously listening to the podcast. If you read my books, if you hire me to work with you as your coach, I will show you how to do everything that I've done. If, if that's something that you want to do. And speaking of which, I have, I want to tell you about eight weeks to exit. Many, many, many of you have purchased exit strategy and maybe you got a little bit stuck. Maybe you went through part of the book and you got sidetracked or life got in the way and you weren't able to finish it. Or maybe you were, you were fully intended on going through it and then you get to part three, the roadmap, the eight weeks that will help you lay the foundation for the future of your business. And maybe there was a snag. There's a lot of maybes out there, but I'm just thinking about all the conversations with people that I have had who read the book. They, they know what to do. They've got the outline, the roadmap right in front of them. But I don't necessarily tell you how to differentiate between a good theme and a bad theme. I tell you who I use and recommend, but you might get bogged down in the details. And then there's another detail, and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll come back to that. And then you forget. Well, 8weekstoexit.com is my training program. I'm going to walk you through personally. I'm going to walk you through the eight weeks to help you get your online business started. We're going to follow very closely to what has helped hundreds, if not thousands of people in uh, who have who've read and gone through Exit Strategy, the book. And it is how I have built my global brand and business. You heard me kind of realize in a couple of episodes ago that I realized I had a global brand kind of on air just you know, with, with clients actually literally around the world. And, uh, anyway, I, everything that I've done, I put it into exit strategy and I want to walk you through that personally. Everything about setting up WordPress, finding the right kind of hosting, finding the right theme that goes for your business, installing it, the plugins. I want to show you how to build a content, content calendar for your business. I want to show you how to set up affiliate things, how to market your products, how to, all of it. I want to, I realized, I realized that there was still a gap in the market and there are people like you out there who 
you just need a little bit of encouragement or you need some accountability. And right now it's $4.99. The program is $4.99. This is easily a $2,000 program, but I've never done a program like this before. So I dropped the, I dropped my pants on the price and I knocked like 75% off of it, basically $1,500 off of the price of this. I know it's worth the rest of it because I've been, I've spent money more than that learning what i would like to what i would like to teach and i know the the material is solid because every single week i talk to my clients and walk them through it and um more details we're going to get on with the episode but more details at 8weekstoexit.com so why you should treat your online business more like a retail shop seven reasons your online business is not necessarily all that different from a business that you or I might walk into. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to cue that intro music, and I'll be right back. I'm not one of those entrepreneurs who gave up their six-figure salary and fancy office to start a business, and I wasn't selling lemonade to my neighbors when I was seven. I wasn't born an entrepreneur, and I never laid awake at night dreaming of owning my own business. My name is Ellery Wells, and I was forced to make a decision. Welcome to the Ellery Wells Show, where we talk with real entrepreneurs about real problems that they're facing and real solutions on how they are overcoming obstacles, achieving their goals, and making a difference in the world. If you're an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, this is the place to be to help you start, build, or grow your business. All right, like I said, having a successful online business isn't necessarily all that different from having a successful offline business or a retail business. And tell me what you think about this quote. I came up with this. Actually, I don't think I came up with it. I forgot that I. this is not an Elleryism. I saw this somewhere else and I adapted it to my own purpose. But here, let me know if you agree with this. Buyers are buyers, whether they're in your store or on your website. Is that true? I'm going to I'm going to go on the presumption that it is true because when we look at some of the basic principles that work for both online businesses and, and offline businesses uh they're they're not all that separate they're not completely different and you know where one would not apply to the other but we're going to look about at today we're going to look at how you can implement some of those into your business. If you've followed me for a while, if you've listened to the show, you read my blog, or heck, if you if you listen to Exit Strategy, you really know that when I got started online with blogging, podcast, uh, blogging, podcasting, <laughs> etc., I knew very little about those things, and in and a lot of my motivation was why not me? If those guys can do it, why can't I do it? And part of me feels like that's a pretty good way to start a business. But anyway, by the time I'd started my company, though, I had over 17 years. I think it was like 15. Maybe It's, it's close to 20 now. Um, but I had over a dozen years of sales experience. And though it took me a while to learn, I have come to realize that online business is not that different from offline businesses. Most However, most most offline businesses don't think that they have anything in common with online businesses. A lot of them don't realize that they need an online component to actually the, the businesses that don't realize this are probably struggling. Uh, they're probably very close to shutting their doors, but they don't realize that they absolutely need a website and an online component 
uh, to to their business. And they're the the companies that are really successful are the ones that kind of blur the line between offline and online. Uh, Amazon's a good example. Best Buy is a pretty good example. Man, grocery stores around here lately are really crushing it. Walmart, you know, order online and you just show up and you pick a time and they and somebody brings it out to your car. Ashley did that just uh, just a couple of days ago. And when you can when you can merge the online and the offline, and we're going to talk about that more in detail, you could really set yourself up for success. But if you and I want to increase the sales from our online stores, our e-commerce businesses, we have to learn to treat our online businesses more like the retail shops and physical stores that are oddly enough going out of business but they're not going out of businesses the ones i think again are doing it poorly are going out of business when they realize like best buy was losing ground to amazon but when they started price matching anything that was actually officially sold by amazon you know they made it made more sense to go uh, go into a Best Buy store. But the ones that treat online and offline separately, they fail. When they blur that line and treat them well or, or treat your customers well, no matter if they're in your store or on your website, they're the ones that are really successful. I mean, let's be honest, because whether we are in Dillard's, I have not been in a Dillard's in a long time, or we are price matching on Amazon.com, we as buyers, we're still looking for the same things. And we're going to talk about those right now. So the first one that we want to talk about is no business can survive without foot traffic. And while retail shops, that means literally foot traffic. For your online store, that means eyeball traffic. I've talked about in the past how I increased the traffic to my website. And the things that I did and that I've talked about on past podcast episodes uh, I wouldn't have a business if my traffic stayed at 100 visitors or 100 visitors a month. I mean, let's say I sold each one of those people a thousand dollar project product. Let's say I make a hundred thousand dollars. Well, that's great. That'd be fantastic. But then what happens the next month? Nothing. And the month after that, nothing. And the month after that, and the year after that, nothing. You've got to keep growing. You've got to keep bringing people in that foot traffic right the number one problem small businesses face is being unknown whether you're online or offline your customers a have to know that you exist and b they have to show up they have to walk in they have to give you that traffic and they have to know you exist before they can show up don't forget that stores physical ones retail shops spend a lot of money enticing people to walk through their door they advertise on tv radio and with printed flyers luckily for us we can do better and target people via email and businesses live and die by traffic and again we're talking about how your offline business or other way around how your online business is like a retail shop. If nobody walked into the store, business would close its doors. If nobody visits your website and you're an online business, you're going to close your doors too. The second thing, the second why reason why we are the same is the ability to browse, sample, and test products. Sometimes, I mentioned Best Buy before, I, I shop on Amazon too, a price match on Amazon, but I don't buy things that I need to see in person until I've seen them in person. Like uh, our friend Miriam, she bought a couch without ever sitting on it. She just ordered it online and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> we made fun of her for quite a long time. 
but I walk into Best Buy just to browse. I like to see what's on the shelves. I like to see the new TVs. I like to test out the new speakers, which video games I'll be buying next. Do you ever do that? Do you ever browse before you buy? My guess is is that you do. And my guess is that most people like to browse before they buy. We like to walk through car lots. We like to check out clothes folded on shelves or thumb through the rack. We like to pick up CDs alphabetized by artists. Do we buy CDs anymore? Actually, this is even a more uh, a case in point. Yes, we used to have stores like CD Warehouse, Kids Ask Your Parents. We used to have places like Blockbuster, and we could test them out. Now, whether you're on iTunes or on YouTube, there are trailers galore. And even when we're talking about music, there's usually on Amazon, sometimes like a 90-second trailer or whatever you can you can download of the show or stream just a, a teaser of it to see if that's the it's it's not think about it this way too. It's as the creator of that content. Do you want people just listening to the the sample? just eating samples all day. Well, no, not necessarily. But when it comes to music, and there are millions, billions of songs out there, do you want them to buy your product just on a whim? Maybe. But you also want to let people know that this is your song, not the other one with a similar name, or not the one that they couldn't quite remember the name to or the tune to, and so they were just picking and choosing, trying to find the right one. By providing a sample and the ability to test your products, you'd let them make sure that they completely understand what they're buying. It probably reduces return rates as well. I know you can't return an MP3 to the iTunes store or the Amazon store or Google Play or whatever, but you know, you don't have to, you, you, you let people avoid buyer's remorse. And sometimes we can go for a test drive. We like to tie, we'd like to try on shirts and we listen to clips to see if we like the way it handles being the car, the way it fits being the clothes. And, you know, if we can move to the beat. Oh yeah. That's really dumb. I'm not much of a dancer, but we, but the point is, the point to all that is we, we like to browse. And more practically, we like to know what we're buying before we buy it. And your online store should allow people to to browse. And if you want to uh, check out my store, it's at elrywells.com, probably slash store, something like that. There's a link I know in the, the, the menu up at the top. But just like your foot traffic wants to browse, they also want to read samples, listen to audio clips, and know exactly what they're going to get when they complete their purchase. When buying electronics... A trend you'll often find is a listing of what you will find in the box. You'll find the remote, two AA batteries, and blah, blah, blah. You'll see the item, the cord, the manual, and anything else that comes in the box. We don't want to, we don't want there to be any sort of mystery. Offline stores have learned that any time a consumer has a question to which they cannot find the answer, they do not buy. I'm going to say that one more time. Every time one of your prospective customers has a question about you, your product, your course, your service, anytime they have a question and they can't find an answer to their question, they feel like you're avoiding answering the question. Like, what are they trying to hide? They won't tell me what's in the box. And I'm not going to spend 500 bucks just to figure out what's in the box. 
When they have a question and they can't find an answer, they don't buy. Every unanswered question about you, your business, your product is another reason someone will not buy from you. Providing samples of your work or of your products will help answer those questions. Don't try to be mysterious. Don't try to be so concerned that your competitors will steal your ideas that you can keep everything behind a checkout page and end up pushing people away and potential customers off of your site. Don't make your potential buyers guess at what you have available for sale. I'll tell you a quick example that's come up in my some of my coaching calls is Hollywood has spent billions of dollars trying to prevent people from pirating movies. If they've spent all that money and it still doesn't work, you can probably within I mean you get a leaked version of a movie and you can download it on these torrent sites. If Hollywood and Nashville for Music has spent billions of dollars trying to keep you from stealing their material. You have no chance. You can't keep up. So I'm not telling you you have to give it away free, but don't spend so much time, money, and effort worrying that your competitors are going to steal your ideas. I mean, come on. You can sample all of my products by reading my blog, listening to my podcast, or getting my book. And the book's only fifteen ninety nine on Amazon. I mean, I've got I, I'm continually uh, improve. I almost said upgrading. <laughs> Not like a robot. I'm continually upgrading my software, and I'm coming up with new ideas every time I talk to somebody new or, or come across a new problem or figure out a new solution. Uh, I work on on developing new skills, but I'm all. You can find a lot of what I know for free by sampling and testing my products on, through my blog and podcast. Also, the next major point here is a touch of humanity. Have you, have you ever walked into a store and you couldn't find a salesperson? When we walk into a store, we like seeing people. Even when shopping online, we sometimes want to talk to a real person. And just the other day, when I when she had a question about her flight... My mom called American Airlines instead of going online to look for the answer. And while salespeople can be annoying, intrusive, and obnoxious, when we have a question and can't find somebody to ask, when we can't find a salesperson to ask, we we bounce. That's the technical term from the website. But we don't buy and we leave. We get back in our car and we go somewhere else. People, even introverts like me, sometimes like interacting with other people. Make it easy for the shoppers of your online store to call you and ask you questions. If a few weeks ago I placed an order through the Amazon Prime Now app on my phone. Have you ever used that? It's pretty freaking cool. I'll tell you a quick story about how cool Amazon Prime Now is. I signed a big deal and I ordered a subwoofer from Amazon Prime at like 12.30 in the morning. I was laying in bed and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to buy the subwoofer through Amazon Prime Now. It was delivered by to my house at eight by eight thirty the next morning. It was awesome, but in the case of this story, uh, after placing the order from the app on my phone, I needed to make a change through the app, and within three or four taps, just poke this, poke this, poke this. I was able to request a call from from customer service, and ninety seconds after that, I got a call from a real person, a live person, not a robot that sounded like a real person. This is Amazon, a major company. So if, if a major company can do this, 
You can do it too if your business is somewhere in the middle. 90 seconds after I poked and prodded the right button, I got a call from a real person who was helpful and able to answer all of my questions. Whether it's adding a phone number to your store's website or your source page on your website or a chat box in the corner of your your page, offer up a touch of humanity. The next major topic is customer service, man. Every store's got it, but how many online stores have customer service? In most stores, you'll find a, a desk for customer care. If it's not a dedicated area, you can usually find someone willing to answer your questions or help you process a return or an exchange or just tell you where in the store something is. I am always amazed when I go into like a Lowe's or a Home Depot, which admittedly is not all that often, uh, but I'm not much of a handyman. Uh, but I ask somebody like, Partly to save time. And they're always like, oh, it's on aisle 14 on the left side towards the front. I'm like, how do you keep track of all this stuff? But we like being able to ask people directions in in the store. But just like people want to have a a person answer their questions, you know, I could go out to a kiosk and type in a, a search term for where I'm, what I'm looking for. But we often want to have a person available for those returns. Sometimes we want a computer. Sometimes we want a real person. And in the online world, this could be a clearly stated contact us page or an area of your e-commerce store where people can begin the return process. I've ha- I've returned a few products. Um, I don't I don't provide returns on many or actually most of my services, but on the products like the book. Or I've got download but um, like podcasting buttons that I created, and what else? Uh, ebooks and stuff like that. I've provided returns on those, and by having making that process easy, it may actually makes it less of a headache for me because I would make I would rather like that person be happy that they got their ten dollars back than to have somebody mad over over ten dollars. A lot of times it comes down to communication. Make it easy for your customers to communicate with you, and they will be more likely to purchase. Isn't that weird how the the number of sales is probably tied to the ease of access to information? Terms and conditions. Have you ever decided to not make a purchase because you didn't know if you could return the product if you didn't like it? Or if you didn't know if it was going to be right fit? So you just don't buy in the first place. I know I have. There have been many times I've been browsing for software online and decided to look at a different piece of software because the one I was initially interested in didn't have a clearly defined return policy. And most of my products, as I mentioned before, most of my products have a 30-day money-back guarantee. Some offer no guarantee and no other refunds. But by clearly stating yes refund, no no refund, 30 days, 60 days, none – no guarantees. It helps people feel more comfortable buying from you. If you allow people to try before they buy, say so. If you offer a money-back guarantee, say so. If you charge a restocking fee or if products come as is with no warranty, say so. Some people want that. Some people want the open box value. It doesn't come with a manual or it doesn't come with a remote or uh, like scratch and dents. Some people are all right with that. And you don't want someone leaving your store only because they couldn't find the answer to their question about the terms and conditions. 
And you can go, if you want to know what mine are, if you want to use mine as an outline, uh, don't copy them. Please don't copy them. Some I caught somebody who copied my guest post. Uh, it was It was a guy from... I won't tell you where he's from or where he moved to because it sounds very stereotypical, even though it's it's not. Uh, he basically copy and pasted my entire page. Don't copy and paste my entire page, even down to the links. Like, click here for more information. It sent me an email on his site. Don't copy and paste. Don't don't uh, don't steal my terms and conditions. Just change them a little bit. They're pretty official. They're pretty bland. I'm sure you could find a website that would. Uh, create them for you but anyway don't copy and paste make them your own about us and your customer customer history i've used this analogy so many times and people always are like yeah i i I do the same thing whenever i sit down at a restaurant that has their backstory printed on the menu i always try to read it i like knowing about the owner how they got started and the special twist that they put on a common ingredient that makes that place unique i like the bio and let me ask you, shoot me an email, just say, yep, yeah, I read the bio too, or I'm a menu reader or something, put something clever in the subject line. But sharing your backstory, even if it's just a brief synopsis, will help you make more sales and close more deals. Have you read my about page? Was it interesting? If not, why not? I mean, most people do. I think a lot of people read it supposedly... Uh, and I could look, I'm not going to pull up my Google Analytics, but statistically, your about page is supposed to be one of your top most viewed pages. Have you read mine? I'd be very curious to know. But I can't tell you how many clients have signed up to work with me just because they read my story and knew that I saw the world the same way they see the world, or that I'd been through what they're going through. And because we had been through a similar experience, I understood them. And we talked about that on uh on entrepreneur on fire again october 11th you'll be able to check that out uh october 11 2017 for all you people listening way far in the future and i told john that i was like every time i share like this weird nitty-gritty part of my story and i don't feel like it's all that appropriate to do so uh it, it has not failed me yet that somebody will reach out to me facebook messenger email text twitter whatever and they will say ellery it's weird how much it felt like you were talking directly to me i've been in that exact same position before and that's what fires me up a couple weeks ago a guy named uh, chris in san diego actually we talked a couple of weeks ago when he emailed me this it was several months ago he had read exit strategy and he emailed me and said, Ellery, it's 645. I don't want to go inside my office this morning. I feel sick to my stomach. When you wrote that in Exit Strategy, I felt like you're, you're writing that exactly for me. Anyway, about us, company history, all of that stuff goes into people's buying decision. You have it, they're more likely to buy. Let me ask you this. Which company was started in a garage in California? Was it Apple or Microsoft? Well, if you answered both, you'd be right. Both of those companies were started as side hobbies, and both companies have made billions of dollars from people who appreciated where these companies came from. When you read Exit Strategy, and I I hope you will, you will read, or you will find, rather, that the first third of the book, it's actually slightly less than that, it's about 60 pages, um, you'll find that the first part of the book is my story. 
and I included an extensive biography, or I guess I should say autobiography, in my book for several reasons. First, I wanted people to understand who I was, why I got started as a, as a business coach, and how I made the transition from employee to business owner. That's actually several things right there. But second, I wanted uh, to be able. I want. I wanted the readers of the book, just like I. I talk to you, just like we're like we're old friends, because I feel like if we sat down, we would be friends. But I wrote that part in the book because I wanted. I wanted readers to be able to relate to me and see that anything that I've done, they could do too. And. I talk about that on the podcast all the time. I mentioned it just a second ago. Anything I've done, you can do too if if you follow the exact same process, which I want to teach you in uh, eight weeks to exit at eight weeks to exit dot com. And if you go, if you want to see my about page, you can go to ellerywells dot com slash about. And if you want to pick up exit strategy that I just mentioned with you know, the first 60 pages or so being my, my story, uh, go to the exit Uh, the, the next thing before we wrap up is make it easy to buy. My goodness, you would be surprised how many online entrepreneurs hire me to help them build their businesses. And the first thing that I notice is that they don't make it easy to buy. I, I, I go to their website. I go do, 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 clickety click. Dot com. I, I go to their, their page and I see nothing for sale. No buy now buttons and no tab on their menu bar directing me to their online store. Now, I better I better sure as heck ch- check mine to see if uh, I dropped the ball on that. Um, I love, okay, so there, there are coaching, there are resources and a link to my store. So I didn't completely fail that. I'm, I'm, I'm eating my own. Uh, taking my own medicine here, but you'd be surprised how many times I go to somebody's website and there is no way to send them money. One thing that retail stores have done right is they've usually got a clearly defined area to pay. And again, the number one problem most businesses face is being unknown. So don't compound that problem. Don't add to it by making it hard to buy. If you don't have a checkout area on your website, at least have a way for people to get into that funnel so they can click to your store and add products to their cart and send you money. If you have digital-only products, don't ask for a shipping address. If you don't need a customer's name, don't ask for it. I always ask for it, by the way. If you're not selling a membership, don't require people to log in. Companies like Gumroad, Stripe, and PayPal have made it extremely easy to process transactions by not requiring not requiring too much information or an excessive amount of information from the consumer. Don't ask for information you don't need. I I some I I almost break this rule. Sometimes I ask for more information than I need because I want to know more about you. Like when you go to eightweekstoexit.com and you sign up for that, um, you have to put in some information because I've got to create some accounts for you. Uh, and I'm going to do that manually this this first time. I'm going to create these accounts so that you can log in and consume the information and get access to the groups and everything like that. And so that I can send you information to get into these live calls. If you, it's like the uh, it's like the single opt in, double opt in 
argument for for getting people to sign up for your email list. It's also like, do you ask for your name or you just ask for email only? So like email and first name or just email. If it it has to do with quality of leads, like if you get more information, the the lead is usually warmer, and you can do stuff with that information. But at the same time, there's also value in highly transactional businesses like where Gumroad might come in where you only ask for a credit card number expiration and CVV and move on. You don't capture their their email or uh, their first name because you, you don't need it. So there, there's good and bad in both. But I would say as a general rule, A, make it easy to buy and B, don't ask for information that you don't need. So over to you. We've talked a little bit about me being introverted and I'm a big fan of systems and automations. That's why people hire me. But I also learned that people want to work with people like people want to work with people, period. And it is possible to overutilize systems and automations. I've done that. Um, although the amount of money spent on e-commerce grows every year, there are still things we can all learn from the offline world and from the offline way of doing things, which the reason why those tie to, together when you're online, I think streamlined automation, no personal touch or like I don't have to deal with somebody, but that's not always the uh, the best way to do it. If there's one thing you take away from this podcast and I hope you took away several things, took notes and whatever, but it's this. Uncertainty leads to fewer sales. Every unanswered question is one more reason a consumer would go somewhere else. I'm going to say that one more time. Uncertainty leads to fewer sales. Every unanswered question is one more reason a consumer would go somewhere else. So here's my final question. What e-commerce company has an amazing buying experience? I mentioned Amazon a few minutes ago. I've talked about Best Buy. Um, how could I improve what I'm doing here on LRAWells.com? How could I get better? So what e-commerce company has an amazing buying experience and how could I improve? Go over to 8weekstoexit.com. Check that out too. That's that's how I do e-commerce. Um, I want you to enroll in that course because you've you've listened to podcasts and you've read blog posts for long enough. It is time for you to get started. And I would love to be, I would be honored to be part of that journey for you. And I want to teach you everything that I know and keep you encouraged and accountable and give you access to my private Facebook groups. Uh, that are for coaching and mastermind clients only. I've never done that for any other product except for this one. And I want you to go to eightweekstoexit.com. I'm losing my voice. I haven't talked that much today, but uh, I've gone through almost my entire entire water here and uh, I am ready to ignite. No, that's, a, that's the John John Dumas question. Now, that was awesome. Tune in for that for uh, on October 11th. Thank you for listening to the Ellery Wells Show. I'm your host, Ellery Wells. Go do something awesome. Awesome. <laughs>